If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Tuesday, the 3rd of January, it's time to go through some listener email and the Issues, etc. comment line. We've got a question about why we never talk about a true giant in Lutheran history, Wilhelm Lea. We've got also a listener with an email about Terry Mattingly and his take on Lutheran worship. And we'll also discuss the ongoing question about Issues, etc. on chords. It's good to be back, isn't it? Yes. Although I can't both, wait to hear the answer to that. Uh, and a question about encores? Yes. Oh, man. Okay. It's an ongoing. We probably get a couple <laughs> a week on encores. We both began the new year with truck issues. Yeah. Well, uh, exactly. Mine, not so serious. Put the scanner on the truck when I saw the engine light and it said, hey, Wilkin, replace the coil and the, and the uh, spark plugs. Yours? Not, Not so, so good. good. Yeah, Ford, 2004 F-150. One of two Shores vehicles that are year 2000. New engine. Not going to happen. My last truck that I replaced over the summer, basically same year, 1999 F-150, started with a very mild tapping noise. And you, I, and you told me a couple weeks ago, <laughs> I, I've I heard that, that noise before. I've heard that noise before. And I took, them, I took it in. They didn't even look at it. The guy just started it, the tech just started it, turned it off, said, it's broken. And when I asked the guy at my very trusted, very much trusted mechanic, I asked him, well, what would this in theory cost me? It was about three times what it cost the last time I had an engine rebuilt. So, Hey, let's begin. We're back live here on this Tuesday, the, what is it, 3rd of January? Now yeah. I know how retired people feel. You need me to put a calendar in that office, in that studio? Yeah, well, I got it right up on my screen here. If I would look, it's actually a couple of screens that tell me what if I just look look around here. Let's begin with Chris in Pennsylvania. He said, it may be possible that I'm not doing a correct search. After all, there are different ways that his name is spelled. However, I was looking for a lecture on Wilhelm Lea today in the archives and found none. He died on January 2nd. Considering his importance in the history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and also a certain way of seeing the life of the congregation and what it should look like, it might be interesting to get someone on to talk about the man and his theology. Just a thought. I have always thought that he represents well the one side of the Missouri Synod, as CFW Walther represents well the other side. Two streams that came together. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the show suggestion. Chris in Pennsylvania. I think it's a pretty accurate way of describing the two, probably the two leading lights. There are others, of course, but the two leading lights, one here in America, CFW Walther, and the other in Germany, staying in Germany, but sending many, many missionaries, in particular to the north, what we call today the Midwest. In those days, it was just called the frontier, and Wilhelm Lea. 
and they agreed on far more than they disagreed on. There's some differences in their in their views, nothing incredibly serious. And I think that's a good way to talk about it. The two streams that came together to form the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod back in the mid-19th century. Now, there's a really simple and kind of dumb reason why you haven't found a dedicated conversation to Wilhelm Leia. We've talked about him many times in many different conversations, but his day on the church calendar falls on the 2nd of January. That's his date of his death. And so generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, we're on vacation. We're taking a break around that date. So he simply has got skipped a couple times. Now there's a way around this. We could pre-record one that could run there, but you know, that's the end of the year and we're really trying to generate as much listenership as we can. And that's kind of a niche. Wilhelm Leia is important, but it's kind of a niche topic. And is, is it one you want in the, your last few days raising money at the end of the year when you know that you bring in, you know, a, a, what is it? Golly, a quarter of your income in the last six weeks of the year. The other way is to, and this was, again, the listener's idea. They have the best ideas. That is to simply do a show on the occasion of his birth rather than his death. And that would be in February, which is what we will do. There are plenty of people out there who are very qualified to talk about Wilhelm Leo. I already sent an email to our top bibliographer, Ken Shear. I'm sure he'll have lots of suggestions for us. This comes from Jeff. Rev Wilkin and Jeff, I appreciate you having Terry Mattingly as a regular guest on issues, etc. I may be in the distinct minority of listeners who likes Terry and his analysis. I usually don't agree with his interpretations. However, he makes me think, and I sincerely appreciate that. Regarding episode 3481 with Terry, media coverage of the cancellation of Christmas Day and New Year's Day services, I was not surprised by the article. As a former evangelical, my family's experience was that there was definitely no Christmas Day service, and the Christmas Eve carol sing service steadily moved earlier and earlier so as not to interfere with family time on Christmas Eve. Imagine our shock on our first Christmas as Lutherans. Our congregation on Christmas Eve had Vespers prayer office at 7, and midnight mass beginning at 11, and then Christmas Day divine service. We loved it. Some friends who also converted to confessional Lutheranism and I were joking just days before this episode about how our evangelical friends and family would not only be blown away by the importance that Lutherans place on celebrating our Lord's nativity, they would literally lose their minds when Christmas Eve falls on Friday, four services in three days. I do want to take issue with Terry Mattingly's characterization of Lutheran practice. Throughout the interview, he kept referring to confessional Lutherans as churches that followed the liturgy of the early Reformation. For shame, Terry. As knowledgeable as Terry is about religious practice and being a guest for, what, 10-plus years on issues, etc., he should know that we confessional Lutherans follow the Western Rite Mass with modifications, which is almost 2,000 years old. Perhaps Terry was letting his Eastern Orthodox chauvinism slip through by not being able to acknowledge that the Western Church's liturgy is as ancient as the Eastern Church's. Laugh out loud. Come on, Terry, you're better than that. Thank you for your hard work in producing what is one of the best programs in Christian media. Issues, etc. was instrumental in our conversion and continues to be a tremendous catechetical resource to us. Signed, a content Lutheran convert in Colorado, Jeff. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. And we're happy to have been instrumental that way. That's part of the reason we do what we do. Terry is, and I think there there may be a little chauvinism there. What The claim of the of the Orthodox is that their liturgy is virtually unchanged 
from ancient times. The Western right cannot make that claim. And in fact, no one who practices the Western right, and you're quite right, as ancient as the Eastern liturgies, and let's just acknowledge, basically in the same form as the Eastern liturgies, the Western right has never made a claim to be unchanged from St. John Chrysostom or something like that. All people who look at it honestly say, yes, the Western right is the same in many respects, but it also has been modified many times before and after the Reformation. Not huge modifications, but and some would consider them quite minor, but it has it not remained unchanged. So there's a little bit of a, I'll just call it hubris on the part of the Orthodox, not all Orthodox, that they have this unchanged, pristine liturgy straight from the pen of the Church Fathers, or maybe even from the Apostles themselves. Whereas in the Western Rite, we say, well, look, go look at something like the Didache and see that we have the same basic form as the Apostolic Era Church. And we never claim that it's pristine and unchanged from its original form. We simply say we worship in exactly the same way, not with exactly the same words all the time, as the ancient church. And you can trace them both back. There is a split between East and West. But already before the split between East and West in the 11th century, there were different rites on either side. And believe it or not, the Western Rite and the Eastern Rite were points of major contention between those two wings of a once united church. Things like the date of Easter was considered something the church might even divide over. When do you celebrate the date of Easter? And to our modern sensibilities, especially Western sensibilities, we say, well, that's not something you would divide over. It certainly might disagree, but not divide. So we want to be serious about the claims of both wings of ancient Christianity, West and East, and just say what they practice. And again, this is not uniform through our orthodoxy either. American Orthodox tend to be a little more, I won't call them church growth, but they're, they're a, a little more fast and loose with their liturgies than, say, the Russian Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox. But maybe when I, we have opportunity, we'll just correct. Well, I was going to say, that's, that's on us. Yeah, that's if Terry on. said that, we should we should. I, I actually didn't catch interview. it. What he's trying to do is he's trying to characterize, and I think he's trying to be favorable to, he has a great respect for confessional Lutherans. I know he does. And one of the things he respects about them is their devotion to the historical liturgy. My name is Bruce, and I'm from Fort Mill, South Carolina. I do enjoy listening to Issues Etc. on the web, and I like the uh, listener feedback segments. In the last listener feedback segment, though, I noticed that you mentioned that you would be discussing self-defense and capital punishment, but when I listened to that, that issue was not present. I don't know if it was not included or if it was just missing, I would, but I would really love to hear what you had to say about that. Thank you very much. Bye. So I think what happened was at the beginning of the listener email in the comment line section, I probably teased that topic, but we didn't actually get to it. I think that's what probably happened. This is most certainly true. Would you like for me to read the email? Oh, the that email we that we did last time? Please do. Jason Indiana writes, does the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod have official positions on the death penalty and the use of deadly force for personal protection? There have been some interesting discussions at the men's weekly Bible study where I've had to defend my seemingly contradictory stances. So there you go. By the way, we've done a number 
of shows on the death penalty. I don't know that the Lutheran Church of Missouri said it has an official position on the death penalty, other than to say, we will teach with regard to the death penalty what Scripture teaches, and that's why we do these conversations on the death penalty. We want to say, what does it teach? Is, and I'll give you a kind of a nutshell here. The death penalty is both described and proscribed in the Old Testament. That is, we're told that it existed and there were certain prescriptions that God put upon the Old Testament. So we say, is the death penalty a just form of punishment for certain crimes? And the answer, the clear biblical answer to that is yes. Now, does that mean that someone under all circumstances, under any government, has to support the death penalty as a Christian. No, because we also acknowledge that the death penalty is not always justly administered. There may be just laws, but it's not always justly administered. So there's no official position except to say that, except for reasons of kind of an unjust application of the death penalty, we have no biblical basis for opposing the death penalty in principle. But again, that leaves room for people to say, I don't, know, I don't know if it's possible to justly administer a capital punishment. Now, the other issue was self-defense. And we also acknowledge that, that Scripture quite clearly gives Christians not only the right to self-defense, but in many ways the duty to self-defense. But I will say this very clearly. Turn the other cheek does not mean you cannot defend yourself. But the emphasis in Scripture is far stronger on defending someone else rather than yourself. So if someone's threatening you, does Jesus turn the other cheek, say you cannot defend yourself in any way? No. What Jesus is teaching there is a very clear principle of not seeking retribution when one is harmed. He is forbidding us to seek retribution or to mete out vengeance of our own, but he's not forbidding us to defend oneself. Now, how is that applied? Does that mean that Jesus supports me openly carrying a firearm in order to defend myself in any and every circumstance? Let's say I'm running to the grocery store for some milk and eggs. Does that mean that I need to kit up to go to the grocery store just in case I might have to defend myself? I don't think we can push it that far. By the way, we did a conversation back in 2010 on November 11th, The Bible and the Death Penalty with Dr. Andrew Steinman of Concordia University of Chicago. Very, very good conversation where we went through the Old Testament material and the New Testament material and came to some very helpful conclusions on the death penalty. We'll be right back. Several issues, etc. Regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org/2023nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Job saw the city as a wasteland as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, 
trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line in a few minutes. Pastor Will Whedon will join us for the Epiphany Hymn Within the Father's House. Email we just received in studio here. Mark says, you two are scaring me. I've had my 1999 Ford 250 since new. and It's got 176,000 miles. I'm going with thicker oil when she starts making noise. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I actually kept mine alive for quite some time. By staying on top of my oil situation. That's I was doing. My, I was literally every third, fourth day putting oil in it. But once you get that tap, something's not right. And it's you keep driving it, it's not going to get better. And the problem is, whether it's a little tap like that or it's making a ton of noise, I'm no expert. But once it's tapping, the damage is done and you need a new engine. Depends on how loudly you want it to tap. February 28th. 2023, big date for our church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Nominations are due for president and vice presidents of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's the deadline. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms. So if you're a pastor or you're a layperson, find out who's got the forms and call a meeting and nominate leaders for our beloved church body. This year, the process is all online. You did get a mailer, but the mailer just has your, your kind of your registration information there. So it's all online. There is a tutorial video step-by-step on how to do this nomination process at our website. I believe it is issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. There's a tutorial video. There's other links that will be, you will find helpful there. But it will walk you through DIY through the nomination process step for step. Don't procrastinate. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get involved in the process. 
issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Again, the deadline is February 28th of this year, 2023. Elizabeth. I believe the reason you're getting so much confusion and so many questions regarding Encore presentations is that, at least on Google Podcasts, they are never marked as such. There's nothing in the title to indicate it's an Encore. The date is the current date, and when you listen, there's no announcement at the beginning stating that it's an Encore presentation. I have been confused myself multiple times, but I've either remembered hearing the episode before or hear a lead-in with a different day of the week or something that tips me off to the fact it's an encore. Would it be possible to change the label slash title of the podcast to include the word encore? Just a suggestion. And she concludes, I understand not wanting to label podcasts as encores so as to encourage listeners to listen. But to be honest, I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. So I like knowing what is an encore so I can decide whether or not it was one I'd like to listen to again rather than spending the first 10 minutes trying to figure out if it's one I've already heard. That's just my personal opinion, so you can definitely take it for what it's worth. Thanks, and thanks for listening, Elizabeth. So, Elizabeth, I completely understand your predicament here. We've gone back and forth on this several times. I'm a big audiobook person, and there have been times when I start up an audiobook, get about three chapters in and realize, I've heard this before. Sure enough, I'm listening to it for the second time. Sometimes I don't remember what I had heard before, so I keep on listening. That's a good reason, too. Same might apply for encores. We've gone back and forth. We used to label them, then we stopped labeling them. And I think what we're going to do now is put it in the label so that however you're listening to those podcasts, you'll see, at least if in the metadata that's being displayed there, you will see that it's an encore. We honored your request starting last week, December 26, putting encores on all of our shows during the Christmas break. Yeah, this is Kurt from St. Louis, Missouri. I was just finishing listening to Joshua Pauling's interview on progressive education, and he was talking about homeschooling and the whole idea of socialization and all that. We were a family that did homeschooling early on, and we always got that question. And one of the things I always brought up was that our kids were better socialized than most kids in public school, for the very reasons he talks about. I mean, socialization in school was with their kids and their ages and all that. However, when we homeschooled, we were socializing with older kids, with younger kids, with adults. In fact, our kids often got the comment that, wow, they can really communicate with adults better than in most kids their ages. And it was because they had better socialization. So that's just my two cents. Keep up the great work. Thanks for all you do. God bless. Well, I completely agree with you because this bugaboo about children not being properly socialized is based upon the notion that somehow you got to get them into a classroom with a bunch of other kids exactly their age and achievement level in order for them to be properly socialized. It makes socialization there kind of stands in for or is is code for how are they going to interact with other kids their age in a large classroom setting with one teacher standing at the front. Look, that's not socialization. Whatever socialization takes place in, I got nothing against classrooms, but whatever socialization takes place there is happening when they're passing notes and they're giving each other the stink eye, all those kinds of things. Yes, it'll happen at recess. Yes, it'll happen during the lunch hour. All those things will happen. But by and large, the purpose of public education is not to socialize your children. 
It isn't. I have grandkids that are homeschooled and they're probably better socialized than most kids who go to classrooms precisely because they get together with other homeschooling families. There are little kids, there are big kids. There's all different interaction. Something that if you're sitting in the classroom for eight hours a day, you're not going to get. You're going to pass the big kids as they come out of the lunchroom and you're going in and you're not going to interact with them. In fact, almost at least my experience of going to parochial schools was there was no way a sixth grader was going to talk to a fifth grader. It simply didn't happen. You you were of a a different class of person. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, though. I can tell you that I probably learned more about the world on the bus ride home yeah, exactly. with high school students. That's where it's taking place. Yeah. And that's more akin to the experience, the everyday experience of the homeschool kid than it is the public school kid. You get, when you're getting your socialization, is on the bus, at lunch, at recess, and however you can sneak it in while the teacher's talking. First time I heard the word bong. Oh, I can picture, I can picture a little crew cut, short pants, <laughs> Jeff Schwartz. Who was the teacher? Well, I had lots of teachers. <laughs> I had Mrs. Block, and Mrs. Mrs. Block. Harms. And- he's ghost up up to Mrs. Block after he's come off the bus, and he says, "Mrs. Block, what is a bong?" <laughs> right, right. That's that. I, my memory's not that good, but that's a very likely scenario. Quickly, Dave, in Table Rock Lake, Missouri. As I sit here basking in the joy of real Christmas hymns, I want to say thank you to Lutheran Public Radio. At our multi-generational home, we spent much of Advent listening to the kids' Christmas, jingle bells, etc. music videos with visible words so the four- and eight-year-olds could read along. The 12 days of Christmas are when Papa gets to hear what I regard as the special and rich hymnody of the season. You guys make that possible like nobody else. So thank you, and thank you for listening in Table Rock Lake. Papa David. We are happy to do that. Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the Christmas season. There's still some more days of the Christmas season. LutheranPublicRadio.org or your favorite podcast provider. Or just say to one of your devices, play Lutheran Public Radio and... You can hear it as well. When we come back, we'll study the Epiphany Hymn Within the Father's House with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood.
Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.